What is going on, fellow parentals? How are you doing today? I hope you're doing well. I hope you're enjoying your cup of coffee or your glass of water or whatever you're sipping on while listening to this podcast. Welcome back to Help, I'm a Dad. My name's Alex Brody, and I have some pretty exciting news. It finally happened. I was a dad for a day. And I think that's kind of fitting that it was just on the tail end of Father's Day. And a huge, warm and fuzzy, rugged and manly Father's Day to all you fathers out there. Just to put something into perspective, I reached out to a friend of mine over the weekend to wish him a happy Father's Day, and his response made my jaw kind of drop to the floor. I was actually speechless, which doesn't happen terribly too often. His Father's Day weekend was basically an episode out of Criminal Minds. They lost a family member, and I don't want to go into details or names, but please, uh, if you can spare it, send some good vibes, send your thoughts out there to the family that I'm speaking of. Um, Just take a moment and just don't forget to appreciate all that you have, no matter how large or how small. And I wanted to share that kind of jarring news, just because sometimes we have to hear about the bad to really put the good into perspective for us and so that we don't take it for granted. So from me to you, I hope you enjoyed your special weekends and I hope it was filled with love. Now, I was a dad for a day? What? Huh? Well, yeah. And if you were thinking the babysitting situation, well, ding, 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 you're a winner, chicken dinner. It happened. And let me tell you, it was absolutely fantastic. It wasn't without its challenges, mind you, but we did it, and we got through it, my wife and I, and this was a whole day affair, which meant the kids would be without their mamas for hours on end. The last episode, I talked about my game plan, and it's because of that episode that I managed throughout the day, and I kept my sanity. So let me give you a quick recap of what my points of focus were and then how they applied throughout the day. So my first point is that their imaginations will run wild. Now, I never asked why. I just sort of took it as this is the way of things. So when the three-year-old had to jump over every manhole and jump on every white step of the crosswalk, And when my wife and I would hold her hands, she would skate and slide around instead of walking with us. I just went with it. And at one point, knew the only way to get her to cross the street in a hurry was to make it a time challenge, make it fun, and quickly jump along beside her. Now again, I am just repeating this because I think the thoughts, the points, the mantras, so to speak, they're incredibly valuable. Because if I had not given myself that pep talk beforehand, I very well may have pulled out a couple hairs. (laughs) Number two, their humor is innocent. I really don't know why, but the three-year-old would just burst out laughing at times. And this was a full-on belly laugh, bent over kind of like cackle. It's cute because it was a three-year-old, but it was like a cackle. Maybe it was a joke that was in her head or as a way of relief, but it made me laugh along too. Just, it feels absurd. If an adult was doing that, it would be pretty wild. 
but because she was doing it, it was just impulsive. It was cute. And now the one-year-old found it fun to throw rocks into a pile of rocks. So we just kept doing that. I would give her a rock, she would throw it. I would pick up a rock and ask to throw it, but she would want it, so she would throw it. And eventually I got to throw some of my own. But when she would throw it, I would get excited, and I would clap for her and laugh to try and brighten the mood to make sure that she wouldn't get upset or cry. And this is the interesting thing. She tried to clap too. But with her little tiny hands, she couldn't make the noise that is associated with clapping. So, and again, it just baffles me. She motioned to grab for my hands. So I gave her my hands. And then she grabbed them and pulled them apart and then threw them together like symbols, basically to make the clapping noise again. I was just gobsmacked in that moment. I really understood the spark of intelligence and how they were seeing how the world worked around them. And that's kind of the third point, is that the world is theirs to discover. We went to the Ripley's Aquarium, which is a quite large aquarium in Toronto. My highlight was going to go see the jellyfish lit with multiple colors and constantly changing. But we moved at the three-year-old's pace. And when she wanted to move, we moved. And when she wanted to stay, we stayed. And when we came to the playground, which is situated around the center of the whole loop, we definitely played. And it ended up being probably way longer than any of us had expected. But we went with it. And the day was for her, not for us. There was no agenda besides just having fun and keeping a safe eye on her. Number four, they won't have a filter. And I think filters count as anything at this point that is self-control, I'd say. And the three-year-old just stared at people. And I forgot that kids do this. It was pretty funny, and it was often returned with a smile or a wave or a laugh by the strangers, sometimes provoked by one of us, my wife and I, kind of commenting on the situation and kind of breaking the tension. Because you know when a kid's just staring at you blankly, you can often just stare back and get uncomfortable. But if somebody calls it out, it usually breaks the tension and everybody just laughs. How it showed up in the one-year-old, though, was while it was crying. I ended up walking in a figure-eight pattern with her in the stroller to soothe her for about an hour straight, and I couldn't stop. I tried to stop. I kept looking to see if she was sleeping, but every time I would stop, and I tried this about two times, there would be a pause, and then you would hear a gasp, and then you knew that gasp was going into a wail and a little cry, which slowly built up. So you had to just keep on that pattern loop. And I was actually separated from my wife and the three-year-old at this time. So I was the only thing that could soothe her. And it was the constant movement. Until they were done their circuit in the aquarium, I was stuck in the lobby. But it was good because I found the solution. And there were other parents there too. And yes, I considered these my kids for the moment. I called them my daughters. If I had to have a conversation, it was just easier that way. But there were other parents that you would just make eye contact and you would smile or you would nod. And it was just, you know, you commiserate in that moment. Number five, they will love fearlessly. So many hugs and so many kisses. My wife and I really did feel appreciated when the three-year-old showed us so much of that affection and support. And we took it as a sign that, you know, she was really enjoying herself and really trusted us to keep her safe and have a good time alongside with her. And it just, it really did feel like a stamp of approval from someone with no filter. When you, when you get given a hug and you're not asking for one, or when you get given like a, a kiss on the cheek 
and you're not asking for it, it's just so darn cute. Melt your heart. So all in all, I found that the three-year-old was much more in line with the five tips or ideas. And the one-year-old, she had her personality, but was far more limited in how she was able to interact and express herself. And I got to say, bless that three-year-old. It was because of her that we got through the day. She was able to read each moment and just adjust to make the most of it. And without her, oh my goodness, the one-year-old probably would have been crying the whole time. She was such a good big sister. When the one-year-old cried or had a moment, she knew exactly what to do. And it's not something that my wife or, or I could do. She went and hugged her. She hugged her baby sister and was a good big sister. I think it was a familiar presence that calmed the crying in the absence of the parents that often turned a potential cry into a calm face. It's pretty wild because leading up to that day, it just felt like I was never going to be prepared enough for it, knowing all the routines and everything that they needed. However, when I identified that feeling and also realized that it probably wouldn't go away, it just helped ease the stress that I was putting on myself. And that allowed me to be a better supporter for my wife and a supporter for the kids. That couples with the idea of just embracing the unknown and living for this experience, living in this moment. And it sculpted my mindset to enjoy whatever did come our way that day. As I'm kind of thinking about this, I really think maybe I should do a play-by-play of the day in another episode because it was a super busy day. Like we started off at a wedding. No, scratch that. We started off in the concrete jungle of Toronto, then to a wedding venue. We had to take the subway with kids, everybody. We managed it, but you know, that's that's where some of the staring came into play as well and the one-year-old wanting to eat glass. Uh not not gl- like broken glass, but like a pane of glass that they could see through. They were just <laughs> Oh. Such good memories. Slightly stressful, but you know what? Amazing experience. So I feel like we're kind of ahead of the game. You know, we we know what a one-year-old's like. We know what a three-year-old's like. Every child is going to be different, understood. But the whole thing, it just showed me that I really do, I really do have what it takes to be a good father, and I would dare say great father. And I'm really excited for this journey. On that note, I am going to sign off. Happy parenting, everybody. And I'll see you in the next episode. Much love.